The reading comes from John's Gospel, John chapter 1, and it's verses 43 to 49, and it says this. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So let us pray. Lord, fill me with the power of your spirit so that I may open your word so that we will understand more about your first 12 disciples and be with all of those who will be preaching your message this week. Amen. Now, Philip's closest friend is Nathaniel. Now, this is where it always gets a bit complicated in the Bible, in the scriptures, because sometimes he's not called Nathaniel. Sometimes he's called Bartholomew, but it's the same bloke, right? Now, he isn't mentioned much at all in all of the scriptures. There's that little bit that I've just read. And then there's another bit in John's gospel, John 21, where he says he is named as one of those who returned to Galilee and went fishing with Peter and after Jesus's resurrection and before his ascension. Now, in the verse preceding that one, we learn that Nathaniel was from Cana. And Cana is the place, if you remember, where Jesus did his first miracle and he changed the water into wine. And Cana was very close to Jesus's hometown of Nazareth. From our reading this morning, we read that Philip brought Nathanael to Jesus. He knew that Nathanael would be interested in the news that the long-awaited Messiah had finally been identified. And the way that Philip uh, told Nathaniel about the Messiah, it would suggest that he was familiar with the Old Testament prophecies. And it makes me wonder if perhaps they had both studied the Old Testament together and they had come together into the wilderness to hear John the Baptist. Notice that Philip didn't say, I have found the Messiah, but we have found the Messiah. It's almost as if Philip was saying to Nathaniel, hey, you'll never guess what, you'll never guess who the Messiah is. 
well, it's only Jesus, the son of the carpenter from Nazareth. Is this why he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? If he was honestly studying the Old Testament prophecies, why didn't he say, well, according to Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, it says that the Messiah comes from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. Or, Philip, you're wrong. The Messiah will reign in Jerusalem. He's shocked that the Jesus, the carpenter's son, is the Messiah. And I suppose he, the way he thought about Nazareth was probably the same way that we might have certain views about the areas where we live. Now, I don't want to offend anyone here, but I've lived in Harrow all my life. It's where I've lived, it's where I've worked, and I've worked in surrounding areas as well. And to be honest, there's certain parts of Harrow that I don't want to be associated with. But that's my choice. And maybe the Judeans look down on all the Galileans and the Galileans look down on all the Nazarenes. So was he simply echoing the uh, Galilean contempt for Nazareth? Fortunately, his prejudice wasn't strong enough to keep him from Christ. Look at verse 46, it says, come and see. Philip, our facts and figures man, the guy who wanted everything in black and white and wanted to confront him with the facts that we learnt that his prejudiced mind wasn't as powerful as his seeking heart. What we notice is that God takes the weak and the lowly things of this world to confound the wise and the powerful. Look how he calls people from the most despised areas and he takes a person blinded by prejudice and change them into something, someone who, he can, who can transform the world. This is the power that God has. And to him be the glory, amen? Prejudice is ugly. It cuts a lot of people off. It cuts a lot of people off from the truth. Most of Israel rejected the Messiah because of prejudice. They didn't want to believe that their Messiah should come out of Nazareth. And it was inconceivable that the Messiah and his disciples would come from Galilee. The most important aspect about Nathanael's character comes actually from the lips of Jesus in verse 47. It says this, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. This is awesome. Jesus gave his approval right at the very start. Nathaniel was pure-hearted. Yes, he was human. No, he wasn't perfect, but he was not a hypocrite. He loved God and he had a very deep desire to see the Messiah. 
Here he was, an authentic Jew, one of the true spiritual uh, offspring of Abraham. He was the one who worshipped the true living God. He was amazed that Jesus knew anything about him. What did he say? Verse 48. How do you know me? He was at this stage still unsure if Jesus was the true Messiah. And it wasn't that he questioned Philip's judgment. After all, Philip was his friend, but he was trying to digest uh, all this information. This man, this man from Nazareth, didn't seem to fit the picture of the true Messiah in his mind. What sort of question was that? How do you know me? Is that the sort of thing we say to someone we've never met? Hi, I'm Pauline, how do you know me? If we read on a bit in the rest of that verse, verse 48, it says this, Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, let me ask you a question. Where was Jesus at this stage? Where was he? Was he physically present when he saw Nathaniel under that fig tree? Well, according to my Bible commentary, it says this, the significance of the fig tree was the most likely place where Nathaniel went to study and to meditate on the scriptures because it was a cool, shady place for him to sit and meditate without being disturbed by the activity happening in the house or around the house. I think that what Jesus was actually saying to him was this, I know you, I know your heart, and I knew what you were doing. He knew the sincerity of Nathaniel's character. And that is why Nathaniel answered in verse 49, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And how did Jesus respond? You believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. While most of the stories of calling involve leaving boats and running to follow, Nathaniel's is different, and only John's Gospel covers this story. Right from the start, John's Gospel is written to emphasize Jesus's divinity. And the fact that God grew up in Nazareth among ordinary people is almost missed, even at a time 
when these people were crying out to God to rescue them from the corrupt ruling class of the Pharisees and the Roman army. Nathaniel's response was honest and Jesus praises him for it. Waiting for God to act can be a struggle, particularly if we long to see others to become followers of Jesus. In the Old Testament that Nathaniel knew, he would have known the story of Jacob. This is the same story that Jesus refers to in verse 51, a little bit further on, when he says, very truly, I tell you that you will see um, uh, heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. God revealed himself to Jacob in the dream of a ladder uh, to heaven. And this same God appears to Nathaniel, a person who was honest with inner faith and is real about the struggles that he has. Yes, he was a true Israelite without deceit. So ask yourselves this one question, where do you need to be honest with God about your struggles? What amazes me is that the most, most of the disciples hadn't grasped who Jesus was after they'd been with him to just coming up to three years later. And here at this very first introduction to Nathaniel, he gets it, he gets it straight away. And he went on to grow more and more in his faith. There isn't much more I can add about Nathaniel. He ministered in Persia and India, and he took the gospel as far as Armenia. We don't know how he died. Actually, I should stop saying we. I don't know how he died because I couldn't find any, when I was researching, I couldn't find out about it. I mean, there are things that have been written that he was tied up in a sack and he was thrown into the sea. And others say that he was crucified. But what we do know is this, that Nathaniel was faithful right to the very end. Everything he experienced with Christ and afterwards only made his faith stronger. Nathaniel like the other apostles, stands as proof that God can take the most common, normal, ordinary people from the most insignificant places and use them for his glory. Thank you for listening this morning. I hope that you could all hear uh, the message. So let us pray. Lord, just as I am, I come. We don't think that we're very clever. We're not very strong. 
and at times were not very faithful, like Nathaniel was. But Lord, you can use us in ways that we never thought possible. So let your spirit melt me, mold me, fill me and use me so that I can be your disciple. Amen. So yeah, let's just um, echo that prayer as we uh, reflect on Pauline's question to us earlier on, where is it that we need to be more honest with God and maybe with each other uh, about the struggles that we face? Where is it that we, maybe we feel um, very common, very ordinary, very weak, uh, where we want God to intervene uh, and help us to become the faithful people that we know he, he wants us to be? So let, let us bring our prayers of intercession. Um, I'm going to start off this morning with the prayers for the world. So Lord of all creation, send us, send us out in your name. We pray for those who demonstrate the love of God in the world. And for those who go out each day, they go out each day joining their energies with God, who is already at work in the world. This morning we pray for Afghanistan. the earthquake in Haiti, and the hurricane in East Mexico. Lord, there are so many people in the world who are living in oppression, In poverty, and hunger. Let those who have so much help those in need. Pray for all of those who are involved in mission and evangelism. For those who reach out into their local communities with the love of God. We pray for our church here at Trinity and our sister church at Union Church Totteridge, as we discern our call of discipleship. We give thanks for David and Inika, and for Ronnie and Karen. We pray for all who witness the love of God 
in the life of the church. And may their words and their deeds and their acts of service be examples of compassion, of hope and understanding. And we remember those who work diligently in the background. For those who care for us pastorally. For those who look after our finances. And our church buildings. And the day to day administration. Pray for our leadership team as they support our minister. And we pray for ourselves. We pray for those who are struggling at this time. Lord, may the presence of Christ give them hope and the spirit of Christ strengthen them. And we ask these prayers in the name of Christ, who is Lord of all. Amen. So let's close our time this morning by uh, refocusing our attention on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Bear with me as we pray, Lord, we greeted you with our adoration and we offered our words of praise. We gave thanks for who you are and for what you've done for us. We've listened to your word and held up the needs of the world, ourselves, and your church. So send us out in the power of the Spirit that we may be equipped to declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of your name. Amen.